listening to Resident Advisors Exchange. I'm Martha. Thank you for being with us. This week on the podcast, I'm excited to share with you a conversation between Marcus Barnes and Mark Radford. I would imagine that Mark has been the man behind the soundtrack of countless joyful nights out for people, having grown audio rehab into the trusted brand of parties, radio shows and label releases that it's known for today. He's also a globally recognised DJ and producer in his own right, with deep roots in the UK's house scene. So this is set to be an excellent listen. I hope that you have a wonderful time hearing Marcus and Mark in conversation. Hi there, welcome to the RA Exchange. I'm Marcus Barnes and I'm here with deep tech pioneer Mark Radford. It's the 20th of November 2020 and uh, the world is uh, very different from the, the time when um, you first got started. So I wanted to go Definitely. back, 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 back to, um, I read that you got your kind of first taste of raving at Dungeons. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about Dungeons? Because I think there, there might be some people out there listening that might not be that. Okay, so Dungeons was, um, it was an old pub called the Greyhound on Leebridge Road and Dungeons were literally the, dun- the cellars underneath the pub. And Leebridge Road is Hackney. Hackney. Yeah. Um, uh, Stone. So yep. it's a road that goes from Leightonstone all the way down to Hackney. Yeah, yeah. So this was halfway down just before you get to the ice rink. So it was literally um, tunnels underneath the pub, but it used to be the wine, the pub cellars where you used to keep all the booze. Right. And these guys just used to go there and take it over on a Saturday night. Um, put, it was about five or six different tunnels and a courtyard outside. So they'd have at least three or four different sound systems inside. Oh, no way. So when you was going between tunnels, if you were stuck in the middle, you'd hear music coming from different sides. It was yeah, quite confusing yeah. <laughs> at times. And it would literally just be pitch black with strobe lights in there. Wow. So it was very, very trippy. Yeah, I and, bet. And then the courtyard outside, which was, I think they'd have like broken down cars and stuff in there during the no. week and to get them out. <laughs> they'd set up a stage and a set of decks and then sunrise time someone would start DJing and that was nice. the first time I've been outside and there was a moment where I don't even remember a DJ called it LSD yeah of course yeah, LSD yeah. came on and I was just thought wow this is what <laughs> I want to do the rest of my life really obviously there was narcotics involved yeah yeah <laughs> but it was you know I was only I was like 16, 17 got in there on my brother's driving licence no way I was a kid <laughs> Fresh-faced little kid, and that was the first proper rave that I ever went to. And what took you there in the first place? Because did you grow up outside of London? I grew up in Harlow. Yeah. I still so, live in Harlow now, Essex. So how did you get from Harlow to um, there? And- so I had a group, all my friends were older than me, 
they were they were all into like hip. We was all into hip hop and stuff when we were younger. Mm. And then a couple of the older boys started going raving to London, coming back to where we used to hang about. And then they'd be like, "Oh, you need to try this, try that, listen to this, listen to that." Uh, and then we discovered like pirate radio. So it right. was like Fantasy FM at yeah, the time, yeah. Sunrise, like real early early pirate radio stations. Mm. So I would go home um, after we'd been uh, hanging out at the park and just get speaker wire because I'd, I'd always had a little setup in my house. I'd, mm-hmm. I mean, I'd wanted to DJ since I was a kid. So I had like speakers, tape deck to record me because I was always recording stuff off the radio. Yeah. And then I discovered Kiss FM. Right. Um, like Colin Favor, people yeah, yeah. like that, before it was legal. So I would get all this wire and it would look like a spider's web in my bedroom <laughs> just so I could pick it up. But it was the most terrible signal ever. But I could just about make out the tracks. Yeah, because being in Harlow, that's quite a way off it from where they were broadcasting. Terrible. <laughs> it was like, so I got used to making out what the tracks sounded like through the fuzz. <laughs> so then I was like, do you know what? I need to go and experience this mm. myself. And my friends, my older group of friends were going to clubs around sort of Essex, uh, Berwick Manor. Um, Braintree, the barn, yeah, things like that. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. I'm talking like real old school yeah, parties. Man. And I would go along and half the time I couldn't even get in because I was too young. <laughs> so I'd end up sitting outside in the cold moan listening to the music oh, and it no. just made me more and more determined. I bet, yeah. You know? So then when my friend said to me about this party in um, Dungeons, and it was like, look, you'll be able to get in. They don't care. They'll let you in. <laughs> so I was like, okay, went down. I mean, I used to look really young for my age, really, really young. And um, the bouncer took one look at me and he was like, mate, you're not coming here. I was like, please. Look, there's my ID. It was literally my brother's passport. <laughs> no, it was, my, it was my brother's driving license, actually. Old school paper one back then. And my brother said to me, if you lose it, I'm going to kill you. <laughs> so I'd remember his date of birth. Obviously, all the way up there, I was in my head. I, was, I knew his date of birth anyway. It's my brother. And he said to me, what's your date of birth? I went, uh, <laughs> literally got it wrong and he just laughed and went go on go in oh brilliant and I was literally after that night I think we were back there every week for wow. months and months and then I discovered obviously Rain Dance yep. all the Fantasy FM parties mm. Bagley's um, and there was loads all ran here all ran there was loads of yeah well that, that's what I was going to say like where, where we're sat a, there was a loads. lot of stuff going on around loads. here. Yeah, yeah. The Pyramid Centre, Dalston Lane. Yeah, man. There was loads of parties. It's mad, isn't yeah. it? Like, this was like the heart of a lot of stuff yeah. that was going on back then. I was going to say, um, I, I read an interview with Shut Up and Dance, and they they were saying, PJ and Smiley, they were saying that they they broke a lot of their music at Dungeons. Like, they brought a lot, along a, a lot of their tunes and sort of tested them out at Dungeons. Definitely. And um, Shut Up and Dance. Did you find that... Um, did you notice a, a, a shift between the sort of acid house stuff going into the more, the kind of breakier definitely, stuff? Yeah, definitely. I think that was because of the, I think because of the people that I was hanging around with are, they took us in that direction. I mean, when, from dungeons, you'd have the DJs that were playing the, the happy hardcore labyrinth. That was a club. I was yeah. Thinking of, labyrinth, labyrinth. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a split from then. It was kind of like you went in two directions. You went in the direction of, like following people like Jumping Jack Frost, LSD, yeah. Randall, or you went in the other direction and follow people like um, Billy Bunter. Yeah, yeah. The hardcore stuff that was going on at Labyrinth. Yeah. I didn't really like that. Mm. I liked the more breakbeat drum and bass mm. because I, I grew up with um, a family of brothers that were part of a reggae. Their uncle was a reggae sand owner. Oh, no so way. So I used to go around to their house, observe a sound. 
Right. So I used to go around to the house on a Sunday and their, their, their oldest brother would have been to um, Labrook Grove. What's the dub place in Labrook Grove? Um, the record shop. Anyway, he'd come home. Dub with, vendor. Dub vendor. Yeah. He'd come home with loads of brand new seven inches. And right. All afternoon, they'd just be playing them in the bedroom. So I'd be like, that's where I got my love for bass lines from. I'm like, that's what this, I was going to ask you is, about. Okay. This is the music that I love. It's all what be bass line driven. Yeah, yeah. Because I grew up listening to that. Right. Every Sunday I'd be around there religiously and then eventually we started going out clubbing together. So we got drawn in the direction of Jungle because of the yeah, regular bass lines. Yeah, of course, man. So I used That'll to go to it. the hard, hardcore things and it was all too fast and erratic for me. Mm. I like the the more yeah, rumbling. Yeah. That's what I get off to is the bass line. Yeah, man. So that's where we went in that, that direction. So I started going to like telepathy, mm-hmm. all those sort of early jungle parties. Yeah, man. Then I got onto Weekend Rush. Oh, to did us. you? I used to play on Weekend Rush. No I way. I used to play back in the day. Really? That was that's, my DJ name back that, in the day. That was the first pirate that I listened to right. before Call FM. Okay. Yeah. yeah like Saturday afternoon. 923. Weekend Rush, yeah. Sick. So I used to get on the train on a Saturday morning. Because my show was Saturday evenings. I'd right. spend all day going around the record shops, all around Hackney, on my own. My mum and dad were like, you're mad. <laughs> you're going to get robbed, son. I was like, who's going to be looking at me? I'm like, no one's going to be paying me no attention. So I'd go around all the record shops, find the tunes that I wanted, and then go and do my show on the radio. Fair play, man. And yeah, my mates thought I was mad. <laughs> because it, a lot of the time, my friends, my friends that I grew up with didn't fall in love with it like I did. So mm. they didn't. They weren't on it every week like I was. They would rather go to the pub or go to yeah, a normal yeah. club in town. Yeah, and I was yeah. like, no, I've got to go to a rave tonight. Are you, what are you talking about? Well, I'm going to go and waste my time in there for. I want to go to a club. Yeah, man. So I'd come to London on my own. I'd go to raves on my own. <laughs> but through the radio station, straight away, I made a bunch of friends. Yeah, I became really tight. We're still friends with them now that I used to go raving with. My brother, bless him, I used to drag him out. He was driving. I wasn't even driving at the time. I said, this is going back. I was like 16, 17 years old when yeah, this was man. going on, you know. Didn't have enough driving license. So I dragged my brother out, drag him to like illegal warehouse raves, like telepathy, which was on Marshgate Lane. And he'd be like, you're going to get a shot, Mark. I was like, no, but just listen to the music. And even he now looks back at it, he's like, I hated it at the time. Because all I felt like I was had to look after my little brother. Yeah. He said, but now look at it. He said, what an amazing thing we yeah, did. Yeah, big time, You man. know, big and time. I was dragging him to all these places and just running them in these raves. And he'd be like, who are all these mad people? <laughs> You're going to get us killed. <laughs> what, um, what, what were some of the uh, artists and labels that you were drawn to at that time? Can you remember? So, yeah, totally. Obviously, the DJ that I always say is my first inspiration that I looked at and thought, I want to do that, was LSD. Right. Like I said, in Dungeons. Yeah. And then after him came Jumping Jack Frost. And what was it about those two that really sort of like grabbed you? It was the music that they were playing. Yeah. And Jumping Jack Frost, it was like, you knew when he come on, because he was the first one that I heard using dub plates. Yeah, Because okay. he'd come in with a Jumping Jack Frost dub plate. And you'd be like, wow, this is mad. And first of all, I'd be like, well, there's no MC. Am I buzzing that much? <laughs> and then I worked out that he was doing it on a dub plate and I was like, oh, wow. Because then I was going out buying music, but this was before I got on radio. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was going to all these raves, finding out the tunes, buying the tracks, but I didn't really know how to mix. Mm, okay. I knew I had the tunes and I had the passion to do it. So I would go and gate crash parties locally and go, give me a go. <laughs> and then they'll be like, oh God, it's him again. So I'd get on I'd smash it with the tunes, but my mixing, I didn't have a clue what I was doing. And I remember a guy pulled me aside once, he went, you really need to learn how to beat match. And I was like, 
I need someone. To, I don't know how to do it. And he said, look, you've got to watch what I'm doing. Because in the clubs, I was listening so in, yeah. just by the music. And then yeah, I was yeah. like, right, that was it. I understood what I had to do. Mm. So I would make a point of going to the raves. I'd want to be on stage. I'd want to be behind the decks. Mm -hmm. And I'd be watching constantly. All my mates were out there partying. Like, come on. I'm like, no, nah, this is what I've come to see. Wow, man. So I just used to study what they were doing. And then, yeah, so it was Jumping Jack Frost. Then when I started going to telepathy, it was the likes of Randall, yeah, man. Kenny Ken, yep. DJ Ron, yep. Ryder, Fabio. Yeah, yeah. You know, Jungle Drummer Bass is my first love. Yeah, same here, man. That's exactly how I yeah, got into yeah, music. Yeah. So I think that's why coming forward a little bit now, there's a little bit of, um, I think, really get embraced by the house scene mm -hmm. because I'm not a house, I don't come yeah, from that. Yeah, yeah, you know, of course. So I've not yeah, come yeah, from yeah. that. If people say to me, who are your favourite DJs, mm -hmm. I never... I'd never say house DJs because with all due respect to them, I didn't grow up listening yeah, to them. Yeah, same here, man. I exactly got into house just off of doing a slight different change in direction of music that mm -hmm. I was doing. So it wasn't like I was going out partying every week and listening to these guys like yeah. Jamie, yep. art department, them sort of guys. Mm. I wasn't raving to them. Mm. I was playing music myself. So if I was getting a booking and I'd be going out because it happened to me when I was older. You mm, know? Yeah, yeah, So yeah. when I was a kid, they were the people I was going raving to. So when people are like, oh, but you don't, you know, you don't really mix with them sort of people. I'm like, but I don't know them. Yeah. You know, I've done my own little journey and this is where it's taking me to. I've ended up playing a hybrid version of house music. Yeah, yeah. But for me, it's just still jungle. <laughs> well, this this is this is the amazing thing that I that I've noticed, and I hope you don't mind me drawing a parallel. But the guys at the guys at Fuse mm. also have a very strong grounding in jungle and drum and bass. Totally. And they've they've gone off on their own sort of totally. path. Totally. Tony and Ninja, if, I know them both. Yeah, well. and if they've got obviously a different sound, different crowd to you. Yeah. But they've they're, they're still about the bass, the big sound. Yes. And like and it, and and totally. you can hear it in their music. And totally. You can hear it in what you play too. Well, I would to college with Tony. Oh, no way. So I, ah. I used to play parties with him at yeah, college. Yeah, okay. So it was, we were playing Garage at the time. You know, yeah. I've gone through every genre <laughs> to get to where I am. Well, UK music. So I've followed that path. Yeah. So yeah, we were doing parties together. And then when I, I heard about his party fuse was when we was doing the, the very early Can't Stop, Won't Stop parties. Yeah, at, a Herbal. Uh, Herbal. Yeah, yeah. It was called Church then. Yeah, man. Before it got to Can't Stop, Won't Stop, it was called Church. Yeah. So they were doing that. But it wasn't it wasn't like a a competition thing because it was completely different music. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, then yeah. I was like, well, let me go and find out what Fuse is about. I went down and I saw him. I was like, is this your party? He's like, yeah. Nice. Did you know I'm doing the check? He was like, oh, wow. So obviously we connected again. Yeah. You know, wicked. but yeah, it, you're right. It's, I think if people from that era, you're going to have that within your sound anyway. Definitely. You know, definitely. So that's why I don't really connect with the the kind of tech house thing, mm -hmm. the techno. Don't get me wrong, some early techno I love, mm. but it's it's a different vibe to what I've grown up yep. listening to. Yep. It's it's more jumpy, you're more sort of dancing to the beats, the mm. bass lines aren't really that important. It's not got that drive that that I look for in music, yeah. which goes back to my days of being a junglist. Yeah, and there and there's there's a particular energy to jungle and drum and bass which I've I haven't found anywhere else, man. Mm. And it, and it's and the the amazing thing about it, like for me, when I was going out as a teenager, if I went to a house rave, I couldn't really dance because mm. I was still quite shy mm. and a little bit sort of. If I went to a drum and bass rave, I could dance because you can just release and express yourself to totally. it. Totally, and and the music is so. It's got such a physical presence to it 100%. that you just you get into it and you're just yeah. in it. But that's what I've always tried to create with what we do. You know, mm. with my parties, I want that atmosphere. I want everyone to feel welcome. And that's what we, when we started doing the, 
um, shout out to Will and Dagger for the can't stop, won't stop thing. Mm. That was what we had. You know, kids would, I'd watch them come through the door. They'd be dancing as they come through. <laughs> yeah. It's like they'd run in. They couldn't wait to get onto the dance floor. You know, and it would be like, it would, that energy would just keep soaring all night. And, you know, I again, like you said, I don't see that in other parties. Mm -hmm. Again, it probably comes down to what they've, the journey they've had. If Definitely. they've got into yeah. a different, more chilled vibe, that's their thing. But for me, I want people screaming and shouting. Yeah, exactly. Going mad all night long. That's what I've come from. Yeah, so, yeah. You know. And that and that's the thing that, um, so before we started recording, we were talking about the anti-shuffling thing. Yes. And that's another thing that I found, uh, like, I, I really got wound up by was mm. the fact that people were complaining about people expressing themselves. But also, like, when I was at certain house raves, I would be like going, woo, yeah, boom. Mm. And people would be looking at me like, what's yeah. he doing? And what like, are you doing? I'm enjoying myself, yeah, exactly. expressing myself. This is what you do in I a mean, party. That, that whole, that whole anti-foot shuffling thing was just disgusting. And, yeah. you know, it was, it was so, the worst thing that could, that I've experienced in music. You yeah. know, it was, we were, all we were doing was embracing everyone, playing all different sorts of music. It was even before Audio Rehab really took off. So I was playing a mix of all, different types of music. Mm -hmm. I'll be playing like Jamie Jones's music, um, Book of Shade, or just a mismatch of everything, but it had that driving bass on it I loved, and it created this vibe that people wanted to come and dance differently to because yeah. of the energy. Yeah. So I was like, but you're cussing people that are just coming to a club that's very mi multicultural, mixed all sorts yeah. of different walks yeah. of life in there, younger, older, there'd be old junglists in there, there'd be old garage heads, but then young kids that are coming out for their first time that had created this dance. And I, I watched it be born on the dance floor. Yeah. You know, I see the guys doing it for the first time one Sunday night, and I was like, well, what's that dance? And even <laughs> they were working it out when they were doing yeah. it. I was watching them, and I could see people looking at them. And I swear, to, it literally went from one person to another, and it was like they was all catching a dancing play. Before I knew it, the whole club, every week, was doing this dance. And then everyone started going... And I started hearing this negativity towards it. And I was like, what is wrong with you? Lot? Yeah. I've, yeah. I've seen these kids embrace people that they don't know on a dance floor. They're having little dance-offs, nothing hostile, no violence. And they might swear in their dancing, but that's just because they're- Yeah, man. That's how they're that's letting, it. Their, yeah, yeah, yeah. letting their steam off, you know? Yeah. And I would see on a Sunday night, especially at Can't Stop, Won't Stop, because that's where it was really, mm -hmm. that's where it was born, mm -hmm. in that club, without a doubt. And then I would see these kids doing the dance. And then as the club got busier and busier every week, it was more and more busy. I started seeing people from the other side of the fence coming. Right. So we'd get like city buds that had been at work all week because they yeah. knew there was loads of girls in there. They might have been at work on a Sunday. They're like, all right, let's go down there. So they come into the club, they buy the champagne at the bar. They'd be looking really awkward. <laughs> all of a sudden I'd see them clock the dance. And I remember these two guys vividly. He's moving to his mate, come on, I could see him doing it. They went over and they were standing next to these group of kids. And then the kids saw them and they were like, come in. Yeah, the circle. of course. And they were showing them how to do the dance. <laughs> yes. Before you know it, the jackets are off, they're sharing <laughs> the champagne with them. What a beautiful thing. Yeah, big time. And if that's not what music is about, then what on earth is it about? It's not about negativity. It's mm -mm. not about saying anything bad about anyone because of the color of their skin or because of how they dance. Exactly. So then what I started to notice was that certain promoters were putting up posters in their parties yeah. saying no shuffling. Yeah. And I was like, well, you might as well just say no black people. Exactly. No no exactly. one with any sort of culture can come to our party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because as far as I'm concerned, it was racism. It was big time. Totally. Big time. And then I started 
noticing that promoters didn't want to book us because of the crowd that was following us. Yeah, for sure. And then I started hearing, oh, but your following is too black. I'm like, what do you mean? I'm a, what are you take? Are you serious? How can I have, how can you say that to me? We live in London. Exactly. And people don't understand how much it affected me. Even though I'm not a black guy, mm -hmm. I've grown up with all of my, f my circle were very mixed. Mm -hmm. And for them to turn around and it'd be black people that would say it to me. Black wow, promoters would be like, no you way. can't play in our club. We don't want to book you now because your crowd's too black. Wow, I'm man. Like, what are you talking about? <sighs> like, I, I just couldn't fathom it. And then as I started to get more and more in the end, I thought, you know what? I'm not going to, I'm not worried about these sort of promoters because I had, I had that other side that wanted to book me. I had all of the uh, more urban promoters that had, that were doing the soulful house parties. For example, yeah. as I started to get up, they wanted me to come and play the the, the darker stuff. So Jeez. they always wanted to book me. So I had those sort of promoters wanted to book me. People like Tipper doing the yellow party, yeah, S yeah. doing his party. Yeah. All those guys back in the day, like uh, Fever and Kismet, mm -hmm. were doing the CD parties at the time. Yeah, they were doing amazing parties. But then, because Audio Real was starting to rise, the label was going well. I was on Rinse. I was getting loads of support from Rinse. Had all these artists sending me music. I had people saying to me, "Well, you shouldn't really be playing at them parties if you want to play at the bigger events." I'm like, "But if I stop right. playing at them, if I stop playing at the events that have always supported me, what have I got?" Well, that's it, isn't it? I'm not going to stop playing for these people because this is my crowd. These are the people that love me. You know, I at the time I was going into a club and it was it, this what we always dream of as a DJ is to walk into the club and everyone wants to talk to you. Mm -hmm. Everyone's telling you that you're their favourite DJ. When you get people are waiting for you to get on the decks. When you get on the decks, the club just goes mad. That is what you want. Yeah, for man. me to be told to leave that because I might potentially be able to play at a, at a bigger rave. To, but then that doesn't want me and my following, I'm like, well, do you know what? I'd rather not play at your party because that's where I come from. Yeah. But was, did you, did you have anything in the back of your mind that was like, maybe I should, yeah. Of course, totally. And there's a few times that I did. Because mm. I started getting bookings elsewhere, out of London, abroad, for events that might not necessarily book me in the beginning. Yeah. But it's, you know, it was down to the fact that I was pushing the label hard. I had amazing artists giving me the music. I had the hot, you know, we had some anthems out there at the time. I was getting these bookings and I play at these parties and I'm like, parties are great, but they're not as good as what I'm playing at in London. Mm. No disrespect to yeah. any of the raves. It's because the connection that I have with the people in, that have supported me in, in London, it's, it's a London sound. Mm. And if I can't spread it and push it the way I want to spread it, I've got to be told that I can go and play at a club, but I've got to play a little bit different or they don't want my following. Mm. Then what am I doing it for? Yeah. That, well, that, uh, I'm and, not being a hypocrite and, and, and going to cut off the hands that feed me, you know? Well, this, this is, this is what I think separates uh, somebody who becomes uh, a pioneer of a sound or someone mm. who really sort of like owns their space as opposed to someone who just happily just takes bookings anywhere. Mm. And and you've become someone who's really owned your sound, owned your space and become really well known off the back of that. And, um, you know, I've tried, what, what's, you know. what drives you, what keeps you driven and um, sort of determined and, and also focused on that particular area of what you're doing? Because as, as we just discussed, it, it can be quite easy to go actually, I'll do some big gigs and all Totally, you know. of course. Do you know what it is? Because when I was a kid, from when I was a 
five, six years old, I've always wanted to play music. So when I started to get into the rave scene, every big DJ that I'd, you know, as a kid, I was sending tapes off every week, <laughs> bugging the hell out of DJs. And I remember I kept bugging DJ Hype one. <laughs> I, kept, <laughs> I kept seeing him out and I kept bugging him, bugging him, bugging him, sending him tapes. And he said, he said like, most important bit of information he gave me, he said, he said, what you're doing is great. He said, but you're not doing anything what no one else is doing. Yeah. You're playing, okay. you know, he said, you're just playing the same tracks we're all playing. And I get it. Now I've got older, I get it because they owned drum and bass. Yeah, that man. was their thing. So me going out and finding the tracks that I was hearing them play and just sending them a tape of me playing the tracks yeah. that they were really playing, it's like- It's nothing to them, not, is it? It's nothing to them. Yeah. So, you know, he heard something. He said, you've got to, you know, you've got to find a sound and stick to that mm -hmm. sound. Get known for that sound and stick to your guns. No matter what anyone says to you, if you believe in something, that's what you got to go with. Yeah, man. And again, for years, I, I, I didn't take it on board at first. I was still doing the same thing. I was just playing the tracks I was hearing everyone else play. And then when it came to the Can't Stop, Won't Stop event, when church started, it was literally just on an off chance. Will, who runs Can't Stop, Won't Stop, um, had put the party on as an after party for Egg. Okay. So he was, uh, it was a group of friends um, that he was part of the group of friends and he hadn't booked me because I was playing more soulful house at the time. Okay. A little bit lost what I was doing musically. I was yeah. playing music that I liked. I kind of got to, you know, I was nearly 30. I thought it's not going to really happen for me. I don't really got anywhere with it. Right, yeah. You know, I was getting bookings here and there, but nothing really amazing. So I, even though I, every party I played at, I was still smashing it and people wanted to book me for little parties. I hadn't really got, people knew me for playing big tracks. Yeah, okay. I hadn't got a specific sound yeah. that was my own. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah you know? Yeah. So he, anyway, he booked me for this. I said to him one morning, the first party, I said, why haven't you booked me? He's like, oh, but you, you don't really play that sort of after party music. I was like, oh, come on, no, no one can do it. I know what you look like. I can play it. Because we used to go to some crazy raves with them. We'd go to like some mad minimal Italian raves and I'd be like, what is this music? Everyone's just off it. I'm just there because we've been out all night. We'd end up at these parties. And then... Um, one night, I mean, I, I've mentioned it before, but we was in the uh, upstairs, what used to be at the end. AKA? Yes. It was when Raymondo Rodriguez was doing Wrong. There. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, we are in there, and it, for me, it was just like I was in hell. Everyone's buzzing, and I'm just sitting there knackered. I'm like, oh, I want to go home. I want to go home. Everyone's like, yeah, come on, get up, dude. I'm like, I don't want to do anything. I don't want to drink. I'm tired. I just want to go home. This was about eight in the morning. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he's dropped this track. I'm just like, wow, what is that? I got up, literally ran across the club. I was like, what is this tune? It was in White Rooms by Booker Shade. And it was that bass line. Yeah, man. Like, oh, my God, this is jungle. Slow down. So I saw the whole room erupt. And it was like people were losing their shit. And then he just went back into that sound he was playing after that. Mm. And I'm like, why are you not playing tunes like that all night long? <laughs> so I went home, just for why right, I need to find music like that. So I started digging, digging, digging. And then when church started, I had a few tracks, started playing them tracks. People were going absolutely mental. I'm like, right, I found something yeah. that no one else is doing. Yeah, man. So I started digging deep. I was finding tracks like 10 years old, 15 years old, as well as a lot of newer stuff. I didn't know any of the artists. I was spending hours and hours on Beatport finding all these tracks. And I'd come to the club and play them the next day. And I'd watch people be like, what is this? I don't know, but you lot know. <laughs> so I know that I've got something yeah, here. Yeah, that's when you know. 
Totally. And we started off with like just a group of mates in the club. Like I said, it was an after party for Egg. So it would start at eight in the morning on a Sunday and go on until like two o'clock Monday morning. Wow. We'd been there all day. You know, I'd do like six hour sets on Sundays. Just Wicked. don't know how I did it. But it 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 was the, the only time of my musical journey I've had that freedom in a club to express myself and mm. not not be like, right, I've got two hours, I've got to smash. Yeah, get it all in Don't get me wrong, I'd, you know, I've, I'd had a good enough career up till then mm. to say that I, I'd had a decent, you know, I was mm-hmm. a DJ. Mm-hmm. Uh, it wasn't my full-time job, but I'd played at a lot of clubs. I was happy with what I've done. Yeah. Yeah. But when it got to that point, like, I wasn't thinking anything was going to come from it. I was just loving the fact that I was playing music on a Sunday to a group of mates. And what a place to be at. In, in, your, in, your, in What a place to be at. I mean, in terms of, like, oh, your, your DJ career. Totally. And, like, you know, there's not a lot of times in any DJ's life, really, where they get to that point where it's just like, I'm just going to do what I want. Yeah. Because I've found something that I like. Yeah. I've got the freedom and the space to do what I like. Yeah. And people are digging it. Totally. And and that, like, you know, that's like almost like your second wind there. A hundred percent. I say it all the time, you know, it's, that was the moment for me, that, that period there that, that gave me that second wind. Because it wasn't that I would, I don't know where, if it hadn't happened, I don't know where I'd be now. If yeah. I didn't get that gig that day, I don't, you know, God, enough respect to Will and Dagger for giving me that booking because yeah, if man. that didn't happen and I didn't have that, that chance of that residency there to do have that freedom, I wouldn't be where I am today. Mm. But it's, mm. it's you know it's something that you have to keep plugging away and and get yourself to that opportunity. You know I was I was nearly thirty when that happened. Wow, man! You know and that happens <laughs> to some DJs when they're young. Yeah. I, I was you know I've got two kids. I, was, I had kids when I was young, so I, you know, I'm a dad. You know I'm a, I was an I'm an adult, so yeah. it wasn't something I ever thought was gonna get to the point where I was going to be taken as someone. And then when I started seeing it happen, I remember being in the smoking area and I, people didn't know who I was and I mm. could hear people saying, yeah, we come to hear that little white kid, Radford <laughs> dude, like, but I'm not a kid. <laughs> you got no idea. I'm a, I'm a grown ass man with two kids. But because of my, I think because I was so excited to be doing what I was doing, you know, I, I engage the crowd when I'm behind the decks. Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll be vocal. I'll, you know, I'll get them involved with me. I'll jump up and down. I'll wave my arms about. If I'm, and, and that was the energy we was creating. Yeah, man. Going back to the jungle. Yep. That moment there was like going back to when I was a kid. I got mm-hmm. that energy for it again. And the excitement that I was getting, I was like, oh, my God, I'm actually creating something here. Mm. So then I started to see other DJs that, were doing better than me, what I thought were doing better than me mm-hmm. at the time that I looked up to, like Dominique Danielle, mm-hmm. Lady T, people like that that were playing at other parties started coming here to hear me. Right. <laughs> and they'd be like, we've only come to hear you. I'm like, wow, <laughs> amazing. So yeah, it, it was it was an exciting, exciting time. And then I got invited to do the um, DJ competition at Egg because I used to do a yearly DJ competition, mm-hmm. which I won. Again, that was another uh, story because one of the judges didn't want me winning it because I, How come? I did a rewind in the final. Did you? Yeah. Yes. I rewind the tune. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Do you know what? I, I, I don't DJ that much and I'll, I'll, I'll never call myself a DJ, but when I, when I do play, like I did when I, even when I did my radio show last week, I love doing a, like a spin back I out of a mix. I plate culture. Yeah, like, man, if people like, are feeling the tune, I don't care. I'm going to pull it up. I don't care yeah, who upsets. If you don't like it, Sorry, but I'm not hurting anyone. That dynamism, like, that's what I'm, like, that's another thing. Like, I I love house music and I love techno, 
but sometimes it, it sort of lacks that dynamism because there's there's oh don't do this don't do that smooth mixing smooth totally. mixing smooth mixing and it's like sometimes just like do a spin back or do this or do something you've got to rough it up a little bit yeah of course again man. It, it, each everyone to their own opinion but that's where I come from that's where, so, we, that's where we come exactly. from exactly <laughs> so it doesn't matter what music I'm playing I'm going to play it with the same vibe yeah man if I was but that's why I play that music because it gives me that same energy and I can, you know, it's it's designed for that. It's mm. it's structured similarly. It's all about the drops. It's all about the bass lines. It's just about making people want to scream their head off yeah. and lose their shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to play music that's just calm and chilled and one mm. level. That's, that's not for me. It's so not you, what excites me. So you won the competition even though one of the judges was one against you One of the judges didn't read to win <laughs> because I did the rewind and then they were like, oh, his crowd's too black. Ah, oh, come on. So man. I heard all that. And then one that, you know, the prize was supposed to be that you became resident at Egg. That didn't happen because there's loads of politics. So that's where it comes back. You know, it stems back a long way for me with his politics. And then there was other clubs that were just started getting, I know that I was getting blacklisted at because I was, I was different. But then... I started getting bookings in South London. Like I said, the, my first booking down that way was from Tipper. Yeah, okay. Um, maximum respect to Tipper. Them lot just embraced yeah, me so much. Lot, you know, they yeah. made me feel, they, still to this day, I feel like I'm part of their family. Yeah, they yeah. don't know me. I didn't grow up with them and they're such a tight circle yeah, down man. there. They're not. Literally the circle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they embraced me and they let me in. They wanted me. Their crowd loved me to this day and I love them and respect them guys so much yeah, man. because they got it with me, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And it was, they never wanted me to change. To, you know, it was Tipper that got me onto Rinse. Wicked. You know, because he could see that I was worthy of mm -hmm. that spot. Yeah. I was doing something different. Yeah, yeah. And it was all love and respect, you know. I love and respect them not so much, man. I can't tell you. To yeah. be embraced by people that you don't know for doing something that you love. Yeah, man. And then I started, started getting bookings from loads of different people, mm. you know. And it was like every, it was mad. Before I knew it, I'd be driving around London and every uh, lamppost I'd see my name on. Like, <laughs> wow. Now the, the, What's the, going on here? <laughs> the, now, the, that that is another reason why, like... And it might sound a bit weird, but like another reason why I'm like so happy to be sat here with you is like <laughs> I'm from South, so I would like I'd literally see right. your name everywhere. Wicked, man. and it was like and those things like you know I, I saw you chatting about them in an, in an interview. I think it mm. might have been with uh, Blackdown, possibly. Um, okay, where yes. you were talking about the the lamp posts uh, mm. posters and how like you a few of the promoters got like in a bit of trouble like yes. for putting them up and well, stuff. They and, started getting fined for them, didn't they? Yeah. So yeah. then it was then it was another thing of. Certain clubs are like, oh, but your name's on every single poster. We don't want you at our club. I'm like, okay, sorry. I've worked my whole life to get to this point, and now you're telling me I can't do it. You know, I used to drive around and just dream, see the posters and dream of my name being yeah, on them. Yeah, yeah. And then literally, I would. I remember one day I drove there and I stopped and took a picture. There was five different posters <laughs> yes. headlining every single one. <laughs> I'm like, why are you telling me? How can you tell me I've got to stop doing that? Yeah, man. Just because you don't agree with it or... I don't know. Everyone, like I said, everyone's entitled to their opinion, but I think what 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 there what I've noticed is that there is a, a particular area of so-called underground electronic music that's quite sanitized. Mm. It's quite kind of like um, I don't know, really know how to describe it. It's quite buttoned up, and it's quite sort of it's not as expressive, and it's quite sort of like 
you know, insular in a way. Yeah. And then you've got like people like yourself and other other DJs and producers and 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 ravers who are all about just like the rave and like mm. having it and just mm. expressing. And then there's this slightly sort of I don't know like clinical. Yeah. That, yeah, that yeah. Everything's yeah. got to be done this way or that yeah, way. Yeah. And, yeah. And it's, it's a little bit snobby. But unfortunately, like, that's what gets the mainstream coverage. Yeah. That's what becomes more successful. You know, we for years up until now we you know we didn't get any support no one wanted to talk about us mm. it was just like especially the the guys that you know the black scene mm -hmm. that more mm -hmm. urban stuff even now you know i know how hard it is for them guys yeah man and i was getting sti that stigma and i'm not you know i'm not black so i can't say oh yeah i, I understand because i don't totally you mm. know i've not had it nowhere near as bad as them guys have had it but i what i've taken from them guys is that i've looked at them and all they've done is they've been like do you know what we're going to do it our way. Yeah, man. If we don't like it, then don't come. So that's why I've got so much respect for what they've done and the fact that they embraced me and let me into their scene. Yeah. And it's 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 amazing for me, you know. The, and then the fact that the, the people that are on the other side of the fence, the more the more white scene, as you say, don't want to embrace me at all mm. or are very sceptical about embracing me. I'm like, well, who am I going to go to then? Yeah, exactly. You know, who am I going to want to play music for? I'm yeah, not going to want to play music for you lot that are snobby and, and turn your nose up at me. Oh, he's rewound a tune. How dare he? Yeah. I'm like, do you know what? Go away then. I want people slapping walls. <laughs> and and this this is another thing that I was going to ask you because in, in respect of the, the lack of coverage, mm. you know, obviously this is, this is happening now. Yeah. But it's... It's probably like a, a few years too late, really. Far too late. And so, at, <laughs> at the time when it was when when you were like doing your thing and mm -hmm. it was going from can't stop, won't stop to audio rehab, was did, did you did you ever sort of step back and think why are we not getting any coverage? Or of course, did you, or, yeah. And and but then did you go sod it, man? Yeah. I don't care. We're just doing our thing totally. and it's doing really well. We don't need anyone totally. to write about us. Totally. There was a few times where. Um, we had, you know, when the label first started and the scene was really um, budget, like, um, starting, it was, it was booming, you know. And I'd be looking at Beatport and I'm like, why aren't Beatport getting behind it? You know, we were getting tracks in the top tens. Every track was in the charts. We didn't get any features. There was nothing, not one. You know, I remember we, had, we did one IB for VA and we were number two in the charts behind Tall Room's album. I'm like, why are you not picking that up? So then what started to happen was, even though I was doing really well, getting loads of bookings, the, I, the producers were amazing that were working for me. We had we had an amazing sound. Everyone wanted to get, you know, not everyone, but loads of young producers wanted to get involved in the sound. They loved it. People from all different genres, you know, drum and bass especially, because of where I've come from, they can hear it in the sound. Dubstep as well. Yeah, yeah. They, I used to, still to this day, I get loads of old school heads that, of drum and bass producers or dubstep producers are like, we're totally lost with what to make in that, but we listen to what you're making and we get it. And they're sending me music that's amazing. Mm. But because we weren't getting that accepted by the mainstream, mm -hmm. we were kind of being frowned upon. Yeah, I didn't even know what was being frowned upon because people would say to me, oh, they'd be out and they'd be talking to people and my name would get mentioned, the label would get mentioned and people would go, oh, that label. And I'm like, mm, well, do you know what? I really don't care. But what when it started to bother me was that people started losing faith in, in the sound. Yeah, and, okay. And, yeah. and the actual started to try and cheapen the sound because it wasn't getting that coverage. They're like, oh, yeah, it's never going to. Yeah, okay. It's, you know, and then, then the tech house thing exploded. Loads of guys jumped on that because that was getting all the coverage. Everyone wanted to talk about the tech house stuff. 
I was always like, but that's not you. Mm-hmm. We haven't created that. I had a core, really strong core of producers that were making groundbreaking music that no one else had made before. Still to this day, that you listen to it now, you know, Hugo Massien, Riaz, Carneo, Night Shift, Louis Anderson, Shea Burke, Den Boys, just, they set the bar yeah, high straight away yeah, yeah. for this music that, what is it? People just say to me, what is it? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but people would be like, well, it's not house. I'm, like, I'm not claiming it to be anything apart from what it is. Yeah. Call it what you want. It's yeah, a house yeah. tempo, but it's it's what I love. Mm-hmm. Call it what you want. So then obviously it got the deep tech mm-hmm. tag because it's deep and techy. Mm-hmm. Brilliant. If that's what you guys want to call it, call it. I never ran with that at first because mm. I don't like pigeonholing things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now I've I'm, I've learned to embrace it so much and I'm like, do you know what? If you don't like the word or you don't understand it, I don't really care mm. because it's proved itself to me. Now a lot of guys are coming back to it now and obviously now we're having this conversation of Beatport. We're going to have a chat with Beatport about doing a proper deep tech genre on there because it got it got... It got lost. People didn't understand what it is. People to this day don't really, if they don't know about where Deep Tech's come from, they'll go into Beatport. Mm-hmm. They're like, well, what is it? Because yeah. you go into the chart on Beatport and it's minimal slash Deep Tech. Yeah, okay. None of it's Deep Tech. <laughs> because where does Deep Tech come from? It's not that music. And they've, they've even understood it now. They're like, well, we don't understand why people are calling it if it's not that. So anyway, that's another conversation I've got to have with them. But, I think because I wasn't getting the coverage, a lot of the guys jumped onto what was hot. Right. But that's where it comes back to, my whole point is getting back to where you said to me, why is it so important for me to keep pushing the sound of believing? Because I've created something different and new and no one can say that they've done that. I I was creating that. There was other DJs around at the time that were, you know, B3, Maximus, when we were doing Can't Stop, Won't Stop, yeah, B3's man. was on some mad, I used to listen to him like, bruv, what <laughs> is that? B3's a, he's a mad scientist, mate. <laughs> Big up B3, seriously. And he's another guy that's got nowhere near enough recognition for what he deserves. He was a pioneer. You know, there's a lot of DJs that have come around now that are doing better because of whatever reason. But when you check it, it was me and him on that Sunday night that created that sound. This is Lee B. Free Edwards. Lee B. Free Edwards. In case yes. anyone listening. Of course, because I call him yeah. Beefy. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, it, you know, we were creating this sound and then I got all these younger new producers that were getting into it and it was fresh. It was exciting. Everyone was on the same page. But all of a sudden it was like overnight, it just went boom. And they were just left. Hmm. And I was like, people stopped making it. Then I went for a stage of being a little bit lost with the label as well. I admit, I listened to some of the really, not taking anything away from those releases at that probably a year's period where no one was making the sound. Mm. So I was releasing stuff that I probably didn't really want to release. Yeah. But I wanted sure. to stay consistent wanted, with yeah, the releases. Yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong, there's always a something in the tracks that I'd hear, mm-hmm. but the raw elements that I wanted had gone because people were scared to make it. Even though I still wanted to play it. People were scared to make deep tech because it became a dirty word. Yeah. It was almost like, oh no, you can't make that. Why? Because we don't know what it is. We don't know what to pigeonhole it or what to call it. So it was like, oh, we're not going to make it now. We're going to make tech house that everyone's into, everyone loves. Mm, you know, it's the most popular music. But then I've always said to myself, why would you just want to do what someone else is doing or copy what someone else is doing? If you've created a sound that no one's created before you, 
why would you not want to stick with yeah, that? Yeah, exactly. That's what exactly. I couldn't understand. Yeah, Excuse yeah. my language. <laughs> no, but it's, 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 it's totally true, man. You know, I'm and so passionate about it. And like I said, it goes back to my days of growing up listening to the guys of Jungle. I look back at what they did, mm. you know, re-recordings, uh, Moving Shadow, yeah, Metalheads. Yeah, yeah. What did they do? Pioneers, They man. created a sound mm -hmm. and that's still their sound to this day. 100%. No matter what else has gone on around them, they haven't changed mm -hmm. or moved. And I've had people say to me, you know, you should change the sound of your label. You need to keep up, you need to move with the times. I'm like, have you bumped your head? Yeah, man. Well, are you mad? Why am I <laughs> going to change the sound of something that no one else in the world's got? You know, well, that's why I'm so so stubborn about it I've we've got a sound that is you know it's audio rehab producers make it I play it people love it but if people don't understand it you know it's down to me to keep pushing it till they do understand it back there back when um, there was this uh, like lack of coverage and stuff did you have like a, a PR or, or like a rep working for you that was kind of like reaching out to the media or anything um, like that for a little while I got taken on board by Rinse Okay. Um, they took me on board, but there was um, conflicts going on within the camp. Some mm. people did want to help me, some people didn't. Okay. Because of the vibe that I was yeah, coming yeah, from, yeah, there was sure. a few people that, certain person, I'm not going to name names, that came mm. there that, that didn't get it, didn't want to push my side of the fence, wanted to push more like Pearson Sound, Ben UFO, uh, okay, them yeah. kind of people. Yeah. Because they're cool, they're trendy, they're mm -hmm. not a little bit urban you know all my mates are like <laughs> yeah let's not say what they are yeah, yeah. but you know <laughs> i've come from a working class background yeah man. you know builders yeah. like so look for, from my point from my perspective because i'm obviously in the media mm -hmm. what i've observed being someone who's from a working class background too is that there's there's a dis i think there's a disconnect between mm. the media and basically your crowd and your sound. Yeah. And back then, I don't think there were very many people that were really like listening to what you were doing and paying attention to what you were doing or enthusiastic enough to even pitch to their ed editors to like no. get, get stuff out there. Well, I had the two, in, I had the interview with the Black Down yeah. guy and then Dominic done the Guardian yeah, 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 for yeah, us, yeah. which was amazing. Yeah, man. I love to Dominic for that. Yeah, big up Dominic. But it was... Yeah, again, it was. It almost looked like it was going to go somewhere with them, and mm. then it just again it stopped. But don't you think it's a shame that the that the media can almost dictate how successful you can be? Because you know, as you said, a lot of people jumped ship because there was hype going on elsewhere, mm. and it's it's a shame that it kind of works like that. It, you you would hope in like an ideal world that the media, if they write about you or not, that people are kind of like stand firm and be mm. like I'm sticking with this but I guess like you know humans are humans and some people just follow the hype don't they do you know they? what that's one thing I couldn't understand because like I said I was I mean like you've said as well and, and I hope people have noticed that I've been so adamant that I wanted to create something different I want to bring you artists through it's, like I said I've, my career doesn't start till late and it's because I'd started something new mm -hmm. and different mm. so that, that's what I want to push and I'm going to keep pushing that keep pushing that I'm not going to change I know what people like like the people that love that sound love it. So it's my job to just keep pushing that forward. And then I'd, I'd look at it and think, well, all these other labels that have done exactly what I'm doing have had all this praise or get spoken about. Yeah, I'm just being completely ignored. And all I'm doing, you know, I, I was on, I held down Rinse FM for five years, every Saturday. Probably the longest residency they've ever had on a Saturday on there was me. Well, no, it was because it only started when I got on there. <laughs> Ministry of Sound, seven years, residency, sold at every party. Who else has done that? Yeah. It's From wild. with just me. 
just me. You know, no help. I had a partner in the beginning, Lawrence, big up Lawrence, who, you know, he formed all the Arab in the beginning. It was already a party game when I got involved, mm -hmm. but it was just, it was a party. There was no sort of direction musically. So I got involved. Then it all became mine. Lawrence, he does a big festival, so he hadn't mm -hmm. time to invest in it anymore. Mm -hmm. So I had all this going on with no one, you know, no, no media support, no PR, no, no agent, no, pr nothing, just me. And do you know what? Well done to you, but also... Does that smart a little bit? Does it make you think like, fuck, man, like someone could have at least done something for me, man? <laughs> I don't expect anything from anyone. Yeah. Honestly, don't. And it's, I'm good friends with the guys that defected and I'd go and have meetings with them and every time I meet them, where's it always be like, I don't get it, Mark. You went, <laughs> how are you doing it? I'd walk into their office. They've got a massive office full of all these staff doing all these different things. They went, how do you do this on your own? <laughs> I was like, I don't even know. I've got no idea. I'm just, I'm just blagging it. You know, I'm not a promoter. I'm not a biz, uh, I'm, I'm not, I don't, I've never owned a label in my life. Probably don't even really know what I'm doing with that. I'm just, you know. But you've made a success of it, man. And I'm just winging it as I go along. Yeah, yeah. And. But aren't we all really? Uh, totally, <laughs> totally. But then I think to myself, if, it's not like I'm going to sit here and, um, and moan about it and say, oh, I'm so hard done by, because I'm not, you know, I've, if it ends tomorrow, I'm happy. I can say, do you know what? I've proved to myself mm -hmm. that. I've created something that no one else has created. I can say that was mine. People will know me for me. Yeah. But if when it was all, or even now going forward, if I can get the support from the media, not just myself, but the artists that I'm pushing yeah, are worthy it, of the support. That's you it. know, yeah, yeah. I've got guys out there that are still sending me music now that are absolutely amazing artists that are worthy of the praise that, probably left what I was doing because they thought they were never going to get it when they were wrapped around me. Yeah. So perhaps, it, you know, I understand why people want to move off and do other things, which is a shame because when you've got a talent and you're making something that no one else in the world is making, mm. why is that not embraced? Yeah, big time. Big it just time. baffled me. And, and, it, and it's one of the things that stood out in Roche's letter was when he said something about, you know, there's, there's like 10 years, there's a decade's worth of history that's just been completely almost like, you know, just whitewashed and, mm. and not even acknowledged and mm. that's that's such a shame not just for like the historical context of it but also the fact that as you say there's these producers that were making stuff that may have like given up or moved on to other things and it's like they're they're, pe they're people they're human beings they're creatives that that, so, that yeah. would have got a massive boost from just like you know exactly. someone acknowledging them and it hurts yeah you know not getting recognition for your craft or something you've poured and and then it's weird because my my girlfriend now she's she goes back from my back catalogue of music and listens to it and she's like why why have I never heard any of this music I'm like because I would make it get no support on it and then think it's not good enough and not play it anymore mm. for years mm. I went through that cycle I'd mm. always just play everyone else's music I'd make stuff mm. lost faith in myself even though I had true belief in the sound yeah because I wasn't getting the support from the mainstream. Mm -hmm. I'd be like, what do I need to do yeah, to, to, to get it? And yeah. now I'm at the point of where, you know what, I don't care. And I think because I've stuck at it, now it's come back around. It's come back around stronger mm. musically for me than the mm. first time. The artists I've got are not interested in nothing else. They just want to work with me. They just, they just want to keep sending me their music all week. And I've said to myself, once this is all over and it comes back to doing parties, I'm not booking no headliners. I'm not going outside of my camp. 
if I can't do a party in a big rave again in a massive club straight away, I'll go back to 250, 300 yeah, people man. and start from where it started for me. Yeah, yeah. Because I'd lost that. You know, even though we was, it was amazing that I was, I'd been in ministry for seven years. Even with the guys there, I totally understand why I had to have the headliners to keep the mainstream press happy or whatever. Mm. Because for me to just go in there with my guys, yeah, no one was yeah. talking about us. So ministry were like, but we don't know who these guys are. We're just taking your your word for it. They understand the strength for the party. They know that the party's going to sell out, but yeah. they wouldn't just let me go in there and do it with just me and the label. I always had to have a headliner, which I understand. Yeah, But I, I was finding it harder and harder to get relevant headliners to the party. So I'd play, my guys were playing, and the headliner would come on, and everyone would be like, well, what's this? Yeah. This isn't what we've come for. We've come to yeah. listen to Audio Rehab, and you guys... So it was getting really, really hard for me to book headliners. And I said to myself, even before this lockdown had happened, I said, I don't want to do it this way anymore. I want to go, if I can't do it in ministry anymore, I'd be devastated because I wanted to get to 10 years. Now for, to get to 10, this would have been our eighth year coming into. This would have been right, year seven. Right, Next right. year would have been year eight. Yeah, yeah. So to get to 10 years, it's like, that's amazing. That's going on my gravestone, <laughs> you know. But if I couldn't get to it by doing it the way I wanted to do it, I'd have just said, you know what? I'm not selling. I'm not selling it short anymore because I believe in the strength of the music and the brand. And like I said, I'd rather go back to doing a smaller venue, less people, but the people that are there for the right reason to hear the right music. Can you tell me? Um, I wanted to talk about audio rehab a bit because um, what were the raves like at their at their peak when it was really kicking off? Like, can you sort of like jungle me a raves? Bit of a, yeah, <laughs> seriously. I you would get. I remember when we done our the first big one we done was at Fire, and um, Mikey from Fifty um, First Day and House of M. He was helping us do it. He he was doing all the the, the street work for us, all the bit posters and Mikey. stuff. Yeah, shouts <laughs> out to Sherps. Um, he was. It was. I didn't know till afterwards. Bagnall told me this. Um, Lawrence, my ex partner. Yeah, man. He said there was in the office, and I came on the decks. And he said the roar from the crowd, Mikey thought it kicked off. <laughs> Brilliant. So he's come running out. Thanks for it. No, Radford's just come on. So that's what it was like. Amazing. We were, you know, people would come to the clubs. I, in the beginning, it would be, I'd have all the promoters that I was working with that would come to the clubs. All of the producers would be there because mm -hmm. they're all supporting each other. I had people coming from all over. You know, because it was a it was a family. Mm. It was a tight circle that I was mm. pushing, and that was what I always wanted to do. Always wanted to push the artists, give them their exposure in, in the main ministry, which was hard for me to prove to ministry why I should be putting these people in there. Yeah, for sure, man. I understand it. You know, ministry is a massive worldwide brand, and they mm. can't just let anyone in that room. But yeah, I'd be yeah. like, well, look, you've you've taken the brand on. You understand the strength of the party. These guys are the reason the party's so successful because of the music that they're making mm. you've got to let me give them their chance in the main room mm. you know within everything there's going to be a bit of rivalry you know certain artists became more well known than others others weren't as active musically they started making different tracks so I wasn't booking them then artists left you know it's how it goes I can't yep. keep everyone happy all of the time nah, nah, you know all, but I think if we had that that support and perhaps I'm to blame as well because if I'm I've got Ministry of Sound. I'm selling out the parties. Why am I not screaming at every journalist, every PR person, come to my party? 
I don't work in that way. That's not how my brain works. Yeah. I don't know any journalists. I don't I don't know you now. You yeah, know? yeah, man. But I don't know anyone in, from that side of the fence. So yeah. in my mind, I, I probably naively thought that they would just come. Does that make sense? It does. It makes total sense. It makes total sense. I think there's 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 a weird kind of situation in journalism where you have people who are quite proactive in seeking out new artists and new sounds and and new movements, and there are some that kind of maybe get a little bit jaded and a bit long in the tooth, and mm. they wait for stuff to come to them. Mm-hmm. So there's the, you know there's there's a bit of a mix. There's obviously the young and hungry journalist, and then there's maybe the the, the older sort of slightly more jaded one. Um, but I don't think the onus should be on you to to, to be sort of like shouting about yourself. I, mm. I don't think that's really the way that it should work. I think if, because what you want is for a journalist to be genuinely interested in yeah. you, to discover you and totally. to be interested in you and to write about you with passion because yeah. then people learn about you, but they learn about you through a passionate voice. Yeah. So um, I I like, you know, the the the, the, um, the open letter that, Ro- that Roche did was mm. I think so on point because it's, it, it highlighted a very, very neglectful approach by a lot of people in the media, myself included, who, I, who just I, didn't do the work that they, they should have been doing to yeah. acknowledge something that was happening in London, like yeah. one of the cultural centres of the world where yeah. so many genres have been born. And it just it was just neglected. Yeah. There's, there's, not, there's nothing more you can say about it, really. But I think it comes, I think a lot of it goes back to the stigma of the the birth of it with the anti-foot shuffling. Yeah, for sure, man. You know, and it, once you get tired of a brush of like, oh, he's, he's got a bad following. It, it's, yeah, that's it. It does you, doesn't it? You can't shake it off. Yeah, Even man. to this day, people, when I meet people, they're like, oh, but we've heard loads of bad things about you. Yeah, I'm like, yeah, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, and love to G and the guys at Rinse and Sarah, big up you guys. Cause, you know, they supported me and stood by me for mm-hmm. those, when, the, you know, it was tough. Mm-hmm. You know, I had a tough time those years. It was like, I'd turn up at Raves and even the doormen were like funny towards me sometimes because they I don't know what they'd hear about me. You know, I got banned from playing at certain venues. People thought I was some sort of East End gangster. I'm <laughs> like, my God, you couldn't be... Fo- I'm, I'm, I'm a grown-ass man that lives in Harlow. Do you know what I mean? I've got no... Nothing like that. But I think because of the the the, the energy of the music and that's what people get confused with mm-hmm. aggression on the dance floor... Yes, exactly. Or aggression from a person, you exactly. know. If you're, but these, 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 you know, when we was doing Can't Stop, Won't Stop, now I keep going back to it, but it's a very important part of my career. Mm-hmm. We would be getting all walks of like You would get, it's a Sunday party in London. And that mix, that's why I say it, it's like going back to Jungle. That's what Jungle was like for me in the beginning. Yeah, when I used man. to go to Bagley's, roast. Yeah, yeah, You know, yeah, roast, yeah. big up Wayne and Everton. <laughs> it was ragged. Yeah, man. But, Best parties of my life yeah, were yeah, then parties yeah. because it was love and respect. Yeah, that's it. It's and the love and respect, but it's also <clears throat> the fact that the the people there that are there, they don't have this. Uh, they're they're uninhibited. They're not inhibited. Totally. By, by, they're like they're just like they just want to party, man. That's the reason that they're there. Yeah, yeah. They leave all of their nonsense at the door. They've gone to a club to to listen to the music, drink, do whatever they want to do. Yeah, man. Chirps women. Yeah. They've gone to clubs to listen to music and and, and get older women. Yeah. What is that, is that not what we all do? <laughs> do you know what I mean? It goes hand in hand, surely. Yeah, man. It's part of the culture. And then if you haven't got that and you're just going to a club and you just want to stand up and look snooty and 
I don't understand it and then talk bad about other people because mm-hmm. they're doing something different. That's one thing I can never get my head around. I would never put anyone down for what they're doing. Yeah, I'm the same. You man. know, if I'm that's exactly what they the want to do, yeah, if that's yeah. what they're into, amazing. Yeah, I yeah. might not like the music or be into it, but I'm it's not gonna I'm not gonna put you down. Yeah, man. I know for a fact we've had people talk bad about us and want to mm-hmm. put us down and stop us getting bookings. Mm. Whether it was the fact that they deep down they knew that our party was always better than theirs or that we could potentially take away from them, I don't know. Mm. But, you know, there's that whole foot shuffling campaign. Then there was a thing called Deep House Squirrel, yeah, which yeah. was on Instagram. Which, again, they were disgusting, terrible. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I think the worst one I saw was when they posted a video of a, a young white girl dancing with a group of friends, very mixed. There were black guys in there, there was white guys in there. And the caption said, look at this dumb bitch. I hope all the black guys rape her or something like that. And I could not believe what I was reading. I'm like, this is directed at a, and a poor girl that all she's doing is dancing in a club with her mates. She's not doing anything wrong. How could you be so evil as to say that? And it's when he goes out, this goes out of music as yeah, far as I'm yeah. concerned. This yeah, is yeah, yeah. evil. Yeah, man. That is, that's some, that is some deep-rooted racism yeah, right there. Yeah. Big to, time. to say Big that, time. it's just... And it, it, you're supposed to just love on mm-hmm. in a club yeah that's it coming to the club and that's what um, that's the thing that annoyed me everyone was saying how bad this foot shuffling was the kids that were doing the shuffling are the most lovely people you mm-hmm. would ever meet like Edward Scissorhands and all them lot and like <laughs> yeah. the, the guys that done that Shapes Incorporated yeah man and then I could see how much they loved it but then people were putting them down mm. I know it's like it's ridiculous it's like you know, there's there's so much talk in society of like, uh, you know, the underclass and the underprivileged uh, and, and all this like stigma that's put on them. And then as soon as like anyone from that class is trying to have a good time, they're, they're put down. It's I like, know. what the hell? They're, try- they're just having a good time and expressing themselves. I know. Like when they're stabbing each other, like certain people are stabbing each other. Oh, it's all over the newspapers and blah, blah, blah. But like people trying to have a good time, yep. put them down. You still want to put them down? Yeah, it's ridiculous, and man. That's what I mean. It got... We went through years of being penalised for that and, oh, you're one of them shuffling DJs. I'm like, well, if you don't like it, fair enough, you know. For me, I think it's a real shame that that died down and kids started to feel that they shouldn't do it. Yeah, for sure. Because they might not let to be going to a club or yeah, get yeah. thrown out of a club. I'm like, Madness. that's ridiculous. How a club can ban a type the, of dance. Dance, I don't know. But then they, then they tell us, oh, it's the type of people that are doing the dance. So then, again, you're yeah, being racist. That's it. that's it, isn't it? Like, it, the answer's right Certainly. There. Um, what what are the core elements in terms of sound mm-hmm. that make Deep Tech Audio Rehab what it is for you? Um, it's obviously baseline. It's the most important <laughs> yeah. thing. Dark. The building dark, block, the cornerstone. Dark, dirty, <laughs> distinctive bass. I'm not a fan of tone, rumbling tone bass, unless it's done like jungle. Mm-hmm. It's the, I like notations within the bass, if that makes sense. So you can hear each bass note clear and it's 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 rhythmical. Mm-hmm. That, um, obviously tight, crisp drums, mm-hmm. <clears throat> nice percussion, uh, synths and a vocal hook, I love. So those are the elements. You know, it's space age music mm-hmm. as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, man. You know, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's, for me, it's people that weren't into Jungle, I don't think they're ever going to ex- understand it. Even now I listen to certain tracks if they give me that feeling mm-hmm. that I got from when I was a kid, that's audio rehab music for me. Yeah, yeah. That, that, them night, you know, 
like stuff Dillinger makes. Yeah, Dillinger. Them wow. chords, the strings that he makes, eerie but still musical. Does that make sense? Yeah, big time, of course. When I try man. and explain it to people, and they're like, "Yeah, but it's really dark." I'm like, "But it's still it's got musicality." Yeah, yeah, and that and that's the key, isn't it, man? Totally. Because you can make something that's dark and baseline heavy, but it just like just sounds like don't know. It doesn't doesn't touch you. There's no soul to it. Like that's the thing, totally. You need some soul. You need the musicality as well. Yeah, and that can be achieved with two or three notes. You know. It's just how you play them and the and, and the stuff you do around it as well to create the soundscape. Yeah, man. It's, you know, it's emotional music still. Going way, 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 way back to the beginning, mm. I read about um, you setting up like a little DJ booth in your front room, like when you're like five <laughs> or six. Where, where did... <laughs> Where did the inspiration come to actually do that in the first place? Like, you, like, what did you see that sort of... So from a very, very early age, I always wanted to record the top 40. Yeah. But there'd be, I just I hate the talking in between. So me and my Stop, brother... start. Yeah, me and my <laughs> brother had a single um, tape deck. So you'd press play, the speaker was on top, and it had a little mic next to the tape deck. So I used to, we'd both record, I'd say to him, right, we've got to record them both at the same time. So we'd record them both at the same time. And then I'd get another tape and I'd, dub onto I'd put his tape deck on top of mine so the speaker was on top of the mic <laughs> and then I'd press play and but then cut out the speaking <laughs> so I was putting my own mixtapes together but I was about five or six wow, I had nice. no idea what I was doing um and then every time we'd go to like, family parties I'd just be obsessed with the DJ I'd be wanting to hand him his records I'd be obviously on the dance floor but then as soon as I'd get a brief I'd be like can I help you I wanted to be in with the DJ even though they weren't actually yeah, DJs, DJing, they were disco yeah, DJs, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, there was yeah. no mixing going on. It was still something from a very early age that I wanted to be involved in. Hmm. So then, I don't know, I don't know where that came from. And But my mum used to say, I was always doing it, I was always getting my toy boxes out and setting up a DJ booth in the front room. And then, obviously, Top of the Pops would come on and then... it. Top of the Pops was a religious thing in my house. I had yeah, to watch it. Too, I had man. to see what was on the ch in the charts. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, it just from then onwards, like college, school discos, I'd always trying to be blagger, go to the decks. As soon as I got to college, that was it. I was off <laughs> college parties. Nice, yeah. man. Yeah, nice. I, yeah, like I said, if, like they were toys. You know, I had a Fisher-Price turntable and a Fisher-Price tape deck. <laughs> like, <laughs> Literally no, and when when I got my first deck, and I used to save my pocket money up. I remember we used to go to a Woolworths in the town. My mum said, "Right, there's your pocket money. You can buy whatever you want." And I look at the twelve inches, and they were like five iron. I'm like, I've only got like three pound, so I could buy a seven inch. So nice. I've got I've got a collection of seven inches. I've Brilliant. still got them at Have home. You, yeah. Still got them to this day. What's um? Do you know what's in the collection? Have you had a look at it recently? <laughs> Do you know the worst one that's in there? Paul McCartney, the frog song. Ah, <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> uh, yes. That's the, I, I, had a, I had a VHS that had that on it and a couple yeah. of other songs. Boom, <laughs> I remember it to the I used to love the video. Yeah, there's some terrible stuff in it. Um, Adam and the Ants. Right. But there's a, there's a track that I still love to this day called, uh, by a, a group called Wang Chung. Um, Dance All Days, it's called. You oh, should yeah. check it out. Yeah, yeah. It's from a, pop, a really good synth pop tune from the 80s nice so there's some good tracks in there Paul Harcastle 19 I've got yeah, that 12 inch I mean like I said I was buying 7 inches from when I was a kid Wicked. so I think I've got that Everton theme 
FA Cup fan. And I wasn't even an Everton fan. <laughs> Why I brought that, I don't know. I've got that Everton FA Cup <laughs> theme tune on a seven inch and I don't know why. Brilliant. No idea. Brilliant. So let's fast forward all the way up until now. Yes. Um, what's going on with Deep Tech? Like what's the latest? And obviously it's been a really weird year. So in terms of like playing, yeah. there's not really much to talk about. But like in terms of like the label and the music and the sounds like I got back onto, I, I stopped doing radio for a while. Um, and then I got back onto house FM, uh, end of last year. Oh really? No way. Yeah, I'm on house I FM used to be on there. Every that was Saturday the first station I played. On. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. But again, big up Sherpa. Yeah, man. Um, so I got back on house FM on a Saturday night for a lot of reasons. Me and Mikey, we're going to start working together on stuff. Wicked. So I thought it makes sense. You know, I've got a lot of time for Mikey. He's, a, yeah, he's helped me out a lot in the past. Top guy, man. And there's a lot of DJs on it that I really love and respect. That are friends, mm. Lady T, Dom yeah, and Danielle, yeah, yeah, Buzzards, yeah. all them guys, you know. Yeah, man. Th those, I've been listening to all of them since I was from, like... From Neo Jungle. Yeah, Again, yeah. Buzzard is yes. someone that I used to listen to and when I've met him and he, he shows me nothing but love and respect and he's like, I totally get what you're doing. For me, it's like, it's beautiful thing. You know, someone that I used to look up to, mm -hmm. still look up to him, now looks up to me and tells me how much respect he's got for me. That's an amazing thing. All these people that you're mentioning, they're all like linchpins of the London scene. Totally. You know, look Proper. at Dominique Danielle. She, yeah. was, she was one of the, the, the first female DJs that were playing that that sort of minimal tech uh -huh. music. 100%, man. And still still doing it to this day. You know, yeah, she's yeah. an amazing still DJ. There, Lady T, amazing mm -hmm. DJ. So yeah, I got back onto House FM and I was playing all the stuff from the label. Again, it, it was getting more back to how I wanted it, the sound. Mm. But then I started making stuff myself again and I just said to me, do you know what? I'm just going to make exactly what I want to make. Started playing it and then there was a few producers that I'd heard of previously that started sending me stuff and then I was so glad you're back on radio making this stuff again Mr. Solo mopping leads oh yeah he's smashing it out of the park at the minute another guy called Braindead from London he's sending me some amazing stuff um different shapes boys from London a duo I've got some guys from the Midlands Danny Ghosts sending me some stuff yeah and these uh Joe Nocturnal as well from up there um Iwiz there's loads of people that are have always been into the sound. Mm -hmm. And these are guys that are now making the music. They're like, we used to rave to you and yeah. listen to the sound. And now you're playing our music. They're like, this is what we've always wanted. Brilliant. So now it's come back around where I remember back in the day where I'd be on rinse and I had like the Hugo night shift con. They'd be locking in every week to mm. hear what each of them had made that week. Mm. It's exactly how I've got it again. Yeah. Now they're all making music all week, send it to me and they're all locking in to listen to what each other's made. So again, I've, I've birthed this whole new wave of it. Mm. For me, it's the second coming of it. You know, mm. it's, it's, it's never gone anywhere, but it got shunned for a lot of time mm. and people weren't on it. Whereas now, I, I think because I've said to myself, I'm not, I'm not wavering from it. Mm. I don't, I don't, what's, what have I got to lose? Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. this is what I want to do. And it's, it's, again, it's, it's exciting. It's amazing. I've got some amazing producers coming through. And just to finish up, how does how does that feel for you to have gone through this? It's it's, it's been a pretty long story for you, man. Yeah, and like you've totally. had your peaks and your troughs, and you've yeah. had your, you know, your, your, uh, you you've just done a lot. But you've all, it feels like you've always um, 
being so determined to just keep on this path, you know, mm. even going back all the way back to like the kids that was buying seven inches. Like mm. it's just like it's been in you from mm. there, like the, buying the records, playing the records, the bass lines, And like, here you are still doing it now. Mm. Like, how does that feel? Amazing. <laughs> I, do you know what? I couldn't think of not doing it. Yeah. Not, I couldn't imagine it. It's, you know, I'm working full time again now as well. And thankfully I am because if I wasn't, I don't know what I'd be doing if I was just relying yeah, on DJing. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, even when we, even when we did Ibiza um, in 2017 and it was hot. That, that was hard. Eden, right? Eden. Yeah, 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 it was hard. Again, it was like we got no support from anyone on the island. It was like, it was the hardest thing in the world to promote. Even the ticket sellers didn't want to help push it because you had Paradise on the same night. Yeah. Okay. So all they wanted to do was push Jamie's night, which mm -hmm. I get is the biggest thing on the island, but mm -hmm. it would have been nice for people just to give us the option of, you know what, there's another night on, go and check yeah, that out as well. Sure, so even though with all that, I lost a hell of a lot of dough and it made me realise the importance of the right, having the right people around me. Yeah, big time. And cutting a lot of people out, you know, and still it made me more determined, if I'm honest. You know, I'll see promoters that backed out halfway through the year, but I was like, I was deter everyone was saying to me, if you pull out, you're still going to have some dough left. I'm like, no way. <laughs> no way am I going to pull out. I don't care if there's 10 people left in the club at the end of the year. I'm going to do the whole season. Good for you, man. Because, I'm, you know, I'm very... It's like my teachers always to say I'm very stubborn. <laughs> <laughs> you've got to be, though. Very mate. stubborn. To, to do what you've done, you've got to be stubborn. But I believe in it, yeah. you know, and I believe in myself more than ever. I know I'm worthy of, of going out there and, and being on posters and playing in clubs because I, you know, I, my, my aim is to create memories for people out on the dance floor and make people lose their minds on the dance floor. Yeah, like you did. Exactly. I just want to give that back to people. And that feeling for me is ne never, ever, ever going to go. And the fact that I've managed to carve out this position that I've got, doesn't matter how hard things get or what obstacles get thrown at me, I'm still going to keep pushing forward because if I don't, what have I done it for? Yeah, exactly. I've gone through all this stress, all this drama, all of this hatred directed towards me from certain people to get, all I wanted to do is play music. People don't understand it. Like, when I say to people, they're like, what do you mean you've been hated upon? I'm like, you don't understand how deep it goes within music with some people. If we could just all play music and get along, it would be amazing. But that's never going to happen. The same with anything in the world, you know. If we've got difference of opinion, unfortunately, people take it too far. Same with anything. And then when you break it down, it's the same. Music's the same. It's very political. It's too much politics involved in music. Not the same as the government politics. Musical politics. Still there. And I'm like, I wish it would just all go away and everyone could just respect what each other's doing. And fair enough, you don't want me on your party, but I still respect what you're doing. It doesn't mean you need to talk bad about me or my people. Mm. You know, so again, it's not something I'm ever going to give up because it's in me. Yeah, man. You know, I want, I want all your ribs still to be going when I'm like 60, 70 years old. You know, my son's DJing. My son's an amazing he, DJ. Yeah, my son's ah. sick. Big up deck. <laughs> Shout out to my daughter, Clarice, as well. I love you both. <laughs> yeah, my, my son is an amazing DJ. Amazing. Um, He's not the audio rehab sound. He's more into the rolling sort of tech house. Mm -hmm. That's his thing. Really good at it. So yeah, and the fact that I've always got a, a cycle of producers coming through mm. gives me the belief to keep going. Yeah. Put it this way, if, they, if no one was making the music and it's just me going, yeah, I'm amazing. Yeah, my <laughs> Mark, seriously, give it up. I'd be like, do you know what? I need to kind of yeah. think, you know, but it's not. Every week I'm on the radio, I'm getting people lock in a lot. Like, my God, what is this music? Mm. 
last week I had I had people in Russia, I had people in Trinidad, I had someone in Philly. Um, I've got guys in New York that lock on every week. Brilliant. And every week I see it growing again, like it was when I was on Rinse. Mm. You know, I had a massive following when I was playing on Rinse on a Saturday night. Um, and when I went to Tokyo, I had this, um, this tiny little Japanese woman come up to me and she was like, her boyfriend was translating. He's like, she listens to you every week and goes into her classroom on a Monday morning and tells her school kids about Mark Radford on Rinse FM. <laughs> wow. I was like, wow. She was so nice. And then they came to London and I saw them both in fire. And again, he was Brilliant. like, all she spoke about the whole holiday is coming to see you. <laughs> I'm like, what on earth? How does that happen? But that doesn't that just make it all worth it, man? No, totally. You know? and, and, and the amazing thing is, with, with what you've done, is you've created a dance floor that is... Uh, that, that isn't affected by politics. Like, mm. That's what a dance floor is for. It's mm. for just putting everyone on an even level and everyone expressing themselves in their own way. Totally. With no superficial stuff and no politics and none of the, all, all the other crap that we have to deal with in life. Mm. And you've aimed for that and you've and you've done that, man. And fair play to you, man. Thank you. Respect. Respect. Yeah. Big up. Thanks, thanks, thanks for chatting to me, man. You're really welcome. Thanks for talking, mate. It's been amazing. <laughs> Wicked. <laughs> <laughs>